Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast with me, Phil Saker. In the sermon today, we are looking at the story of the flood from Genesis chapter 6 through to chapter 8. I know that's quite a big chunk of scripture. If you have a a Bible there or a Bible on your smartphone or whatever, you might like to have a a quick skip through just to remind yourself of the details. I know it's a well-known story, which we often learn in Sunday school as children, but there's so much more to it than that. And it's uh, particularly in the context of the whole Bible. It's a really important lesson for us about salvation. It is a picture of salvation. Just to let you know that there is more content available on YouTube as well. There's a weekly live stream Bible study, which is on a Wednesday afternoon. And there is also, uh, usually on a Tuesday, a course which I'm currently doing called Firm Foundations. And at the moment we are looking at sin. And just this week we were looking at original sin. So you might like to have a look at that if you haven't had uh, the uh, look already. Just to let you know as well that if you'd like to support Understand the Bible, then there is a a couple of ways of doing that. And you can have a look at the page down below and um, in the links in the description. And I'd be really appreciative if you would like to support Understand the Bible too. So thanks so much everyone for joining with me. I hope that you enjoy the sermon and you find it edifying and a blessing to you today. God bless. And that's the thing with, um, with the flood story, that it is one which children are familiar with. Now, if you go down, to, um, down the road to St John's, you'll see you know, in Little Fishes in our toddler group, we've got um, Noah's Ark play sort of toys. We've got the animals and we've got the boat there. You can go to the, you know, the early learning centre or whatever it is and you can buy Noah's Ark sets with the animals and things. And it's often seen as a children's story But really, it's a lot deeper than that, isn't it? And I think actually that the flood says something very profound, particularly when you look at the bigger picture of the Bible. And that's what I wanted to do today, is to to sort of take you through really how the flood ties in with the bigger picture of the Bible. Now, this isn't just about a flood, but it's actually looking at God's judgment. And that's a really important uh, theme in the Bible. And maybe you've been thinking that, actually, as we've been going through Genesis, if you've been here the last few weeks, uh, thinking, well, where is God's judgment? You know, because we saw it in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden and God pronounced a curse on them. But really, where where has God's judgment been? You know, has God been been sleeping with it? And this is where we begin to see uh, that happening. So what we're going to do is not, I'm not just going to take you through the whole passage because that would take um, ages to go through everything. But we just got, I've got three headings here and we're going to look at those in this passage and think about them more widely in the Bible at the end. So I'll just briefly go through these. The first thing, first heading is the reason for judgment. Why did God judge the earth in this way it's because as it says in that chapter 6 verses 11 and 12 it says the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways and that's just we we thought about that briefly at the end of last week how um, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time 
that was it's just an outworking of what we saw last week isn't it and it's also in a sense it's just a fulfillment of the curse it's just working out what God said when he said um, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return death was the result of of sin and this is what what happened it's just a natural kind of outworking of that it just took a little while for things really to get to that point but this is this is the point at which uh, god god kind of steps in now one question which you might be which you might have is when it says there that things the earth was corrupt in god's side and full of violence and and the people on earth had corrupted their ways you might be thinking well that was, it was just a particularly bad time then, but things are a lot better now. But what's interesting is if you look to the very end of the, the flood, when, when the flood has come and gone, in chapter 8, verse 21, when God says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. So it's the same, isn't it? It was the same before and after the flood. The same before and after the flood, so things aren't better now. You might just like to, to hold that thought uh, for a moment, just about the sinful state of human beings. We'll come back to that in, um, in a few minutes. So the second heading then is why God saved Noah. Why did God decide to save Noah and his family? Well, it says in chapter 6, verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time and he walked faithfully with God so Noah was righteous and blameless he he did what was right what was upright and moral and it says he walked faithfully with God and I think actually that's the key thing there that he had a living and active relationship with the Lord and that's something that we've actually seen all the way through isn't it that when we turn away from that relationship with God that everything else falls apart but what falls apart first is turning away from God and so Noah he walked faithfully with God and we can see that in his obedience it says in uh, verse 22 Noah did everything just as God commanded him so Noah obeyed God he loved God and he he obeyed him now you might think then is was Noah saved because he was a good man because of his works are we looking here at what we call salvation by works you know did Noah earn it did Noah earn his place on the ark because it kind of reads like that doesn't it Noah was a good man he earned his place with God is that what's going on I don't think it is for well for three reasons the first thing is because he was chosen from birth we saw at the end of chapter 5, Lamech had a son, uh, chapter 5, verse 29. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labour and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. So Noah was chosen from birth. Now, say what you like about babies, but one thing is they don't earn anything. And, and that's, that's what's going on here partly, isn't it? Noah was set apart from, from his birth. Secondly, Noah, does he, he doesn't say anything in this passage, does he? 
He doesn't say a thing. In fact, the first time we hear Noah speak is the end of chapter 9. Noah says nothing. All we know about Noah is that he obeyed God. So it's, the focus is very much on what God has done rather than on what Noah has done. Noah really just responds uh, to God. And in fact, it says in um, chapter 6, verse 18, God says to him, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. The covenant is a very important um, word in, in the Bible. It's sort of the promise that God makes. So God is the one who makes that covenant with Noah, not Noah with him. And the third reason is it says in um, chapter 8, verse 1, the way that the, the people of the Hebrew people thought is different to us. We tend to think of, you know, A, then B, then C in a very sort of one thing after another way. But in the Bible, often the most important thing can be found right in the middle. And it's sort of things around the edges, are kind of le- it kind of leads you into the thing in the middle. If you look at the story of the flood, Genesis is uh, through chapter 6 to chapter 9. What's in the very middle is chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. But God remembered Noah. So it was God's work from start to finish. God remembered Noah. God made his covenant. And he is the one who, who accomplishes this work of salvation. So that's why I believe that Noah was not saved because he was, um, because of he, he earned his salvation. But actually it was through God's grace. And this is just what we find elsewhere in the Old Testament. If you just flip a, a, a few chapters on, chapter 15, verse 6, very famous verse this. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham or Abraham believed the Lord. He had faith and that was credited to him as righteousness. That's what Paul picks up on in the New Testament, saying it's always been the same for the people of God. We're not righteous through our good works. It is through faith in the Lord and through faith in Christ. We'll come back to that again in just a moment as well. So the final heading that we've got. So we've looked at the reason for judgment for why God saved Noah. What was the result of the judgment? It's the final thing. What was the result of the judgment? As it says in chapter 6, verse 13, God said, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So it's a a destruction of evil. It's a destruction of this corruption of the human race. It's almost like an undoing, actually, of creation, isn't it? You know, whereas God created everything in the opening chapters of Genesis. Here we see God destroying things. But it's not a complete destruction. And if you look on in chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, when Noah comes out of the ark, and God says, come out of the ark, and it says, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. Where have we heard those words before? That was Genesis chapter 1, wasn't it? When God says to, to mankind, be fruitful, fill the earth and subdue it. So it's, it's almost like starting again, isn't it? 
It's almost like starting again. So that's a really significant thing as well. That God is, is not just, you know, it's not just a judgment, but it is starting again. It's, it's renewing. And then he says, uh, God says to, uh, to them, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 21, uh, I, I never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So I think this strongly suggests to us that this is actually a kind of a symbol. It's a picture for us. It's written down as a warning for us. It's something that we need to, to learn from and take on board. But just before we get on to, to that, in just one second, I just wanted to mention verse 22. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Actually, that's an important verse for us at the moment, given all of the warnings of climate apocalypse. Um, and folks, that you know, I, I think this is something which I've um, uh, become more concerned about, really. The way that we talk about climate change is becoming more and more apocalyptic, isn't it? You know, there are millions of people going to die. It's going to be the end of the world. And there are a lot of young people who honestly think that they are not going to live until into their 30s and 40s because of this. And, you know, I just think this verse says the world is going to end when God says it does, not when it's time for, not when Greta Thunberg says it does or, or, or whatever, um, or, or nuclear war or, or any of those things. It's God's decision. And that is so important to remember at the end of the day, isn't it? Our faith and trust is in God. So how do we put all of that together? And I hope that as we've been going through, you can see the relevance that this has to us but I believe this is a picture of salvation this is actually a picture of Jesus and the gospel so let's go through that in just the last the last few minutes think about the reason for judgment the reason why God brought the flood upon the earth because of the sinfulness of of human beings a sinful state of human beings well that's exactly what we are told in the New Testament uh, about about our sinful nature. This is what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's what Paul says about our natural state as human beings before we come to Christ. By nature deserving of God's wrath, God's anger, God's judgment. That is how we, how we are by nature. Things haven't changed, have they, in the days since before the flood to now. And it really struck me, actually, um, I was just reading an article this morning that they, uh, archaeologists believe they have discovered the biblical Sodom. And it's, it's quite interesting, actually, looking at that, that they, um, they found these sort of bits of pottery and things with melted glass and, you know, that it looks like it's been kind of burnt with very high temperatures and they, they can't quite explain it. It's interesting. Um, but I was thinking about Sodom and thinking, I know Sodom happened after the flood, but you think, you know, that these that the men who, of the city who you know, went to, to Lot 
and he said, bring out your guests so we can sleep with them. And that was why God destroyed Sodom. And that sort of came to epitomise the sinfulness of mankind. And I just think, you know, how a week or two ago, the Church of England, the Church of England Synod, voted to bless those relationships. Or, you know, it, it's complicated, but yes, that's, that's the situation that we are facing. And, you know, it, it just seems to me that, that nothing has changed, has it? The sinfulness of sin it is still there, that human nature is still the same. And we still face that judgment of God. But God does still save. He has provided a way. Let me read you, there are many passages we can look at here, but let me just read you one. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. So Peter takes the flood as a symbol and he says that the water was like a symbol of cleansing as well as judgment. And that actually baptism for us is like that symbol. It's like that cleansing so that we can be purified through the blood of Christ and so that we can be saved. So that's how Peter takes it. I know that there's a lot going on in that passage, but it is a cleansing from sin so that we can be washed and we can join God free, purified, and so that we can actually be with him in the new creation. And it is entirely by grace, isn't it? Now, as it was in the days of Noah, so it is for us also. It is by grace. And it talks about the coming world, as, as we were saying, that the flood was, the, uh, was like the, um, the restarting, if you like. It was a new start. It was God renewing. And that's, again, exactly what we believe is going to be in the future. One more passage here from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and the God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, 
they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. So there we see the result, the fruit of all of this. It is a new creation that we are heading for. And it's a creation in which we can participate through the blood of Jesus Christ, through him and through him alone. And yes, there is judgment for those who reject Jesus Christ, for those who turn away from him, who refuse his offer of salvation. So what we see in the flood is a picture of the gospel message. It's a picture of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. It's a picture of salvation. And I think the only question for us, really, the question for us to think about and that I'd like to leave you with is this. Are we with Noah or are we with the ones who were swept away? Because that's the challenge from this passage, isn't it? Are we with Noah, trusting in God and walking faithfully with him, or are we with the ones who were swept away? And I think it's really interesting actually thinking about the whole climate change apocalypse thing because it seems that you can ask the question, which apocalypse do we fear? You know, do we fear the secular apocalypses, you know, the climate change, the, all of those things, or do we fear the Lord? Do we trust in Jesus? As it says in, in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Which apocalypse do we fear? And that's the question that I would like you to, to be thinking about in this coming week. Think about how we live in the light of, of who we trust in. So let's take a moment to pray as we come to a close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful account that you've given us. There's so much richness in here, um, Lord, to think about. And we pray that as we dwell on these things, you would help us to, to think rightly, to be able to, to trust you uh, in everything for our salvation, to trust that you can and will bring us into your new creation and that one day you will make everything new and all of the curse will be undone. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to live in the light of that truth every day and to rightly fear you and uh, to walk with you faithfully as Noah did every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.